written can be found on page 5 in the Church Bibles, which is Genesis chapter 3, beginning at the first verse. And it's on page 5. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say, You must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and all desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Shall we uh, pray? Father, as we come to uh, reflect on the words that Peter has just read to us, just give us uh, open hearts and help us, Lord, to be open to what you have to say to us this morning. Amen. <clears throat> You've uh, heard it say, haven't you, that uh, an apple a day keeps the doctor away. I'm not sure if that's... Richard, but um, 
is there a popular saying? And uh, the implication being that uh, eating an apple represents uh, a way of keeping our bodies healthy. That may or may not be the case, I'm not sure. Uh, in the Bible reading we have today, uh, it talks of uh, a piece of fruit, not necessarily an apple, though we tend to think of it like that. And perhaps you could just put up that slide for me, uh, John, that would be great. So we have a piece of fruit. Often people think of it as an apple. And really, this piece of fruit that we're going to talk about today represents something quite different from um, the apple we mentioned earlier. And it's through the eating of a piece of fruit that the world changed. And what you have uh, up on the uh, screen behind me is a cartoon picture, kind of light-hearted, quite uh, amusing, and yet actually it presents a time, a moment in time, when the world changed and has uh, significant importance for us today. And that's what we're going to be exploring uh, this morning. Many of us will have heard of Adam and Eve, represented in the slide behind me. Some of you may be aware of a garden called the Garden of Eden. And what I'd like to do is to begin this morning by recapping on what Genesis has to tell us about what happened in that garden. We're told God had created a garden, a beautiful garden, a garden that was good for food. We're told that God created man to till the ground and to care for the garden. There was only one restriction in this garden. Man was told you may freely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you must not eat or you will die. God created woman so he wasn't alone. And we were told that man and woman were naked and they were not ashamed. And God had established with man and woman his covenant that in this garden there is a tree, the fruit of which you must not eat. And that was the agreement he made with them. And we pick up uh, what happens next in chapter 3 in verse 1. And it begins with the serpent, who is described as crafty and wild. The serpent representing an instrument of Satan. And the serpent said to the woman, Did God say to you, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman replied truthfully, We must not eat of the tree in the middle of the garden, or touch it, lest we die. The serpent, we're told, replies, you won't die. If you eat or touch of it, you won't die. In fact, if you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. You will be God-like. You will know good from evil. And we're told the woman saw that the fruit of the tree looked good. 
In fact, we're told it was a delight to her eyes. And he would make her wise. And she believed it. And she took of the fruit and she ate it. We're then told she gave some to her husband and he ate it. And their eyes were opened and they knew they were naked. And then they picked fig leaves and sewed them together to make clothes for themselves. And then we come to verse 8, which is one of my, probably one of my favorite verses, I think. And we're told that the man and woman, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. The implication being that they often enjoyed being in God's presence in the garden. And somehow you have this image conjured up that God revealed himself in a special way to them as they strolled together. And for me, that's a, a really lovely image, the world as it was meant to be. Man and woman in harmony, strolling together in the right relationship with God. All was well with the world. But this time, when God called to man, where are you? The man replied, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked and hid. When asked by God, have you eaten from the tree, I've commanded you not to eat. The man and woman kind of dug the hole a little bit deeper, really. And we told that uh, the man said to God, the woman that you gave me told me to eat of the tree and I did and when God asked the woman she said the serpent tricked me and as we read on we find from that moment in time everything changed whether we interpret the account that was read to us literally, as many, many do, or as an allegory, uh, a story with a very special meaning. There is so much to read from that account in Genesis. So much for us to learn, so much for us to understand. As Norman mentioned earlier, it's often regarded as the fall or the fall of man. When God created the world, he created man and woman. He created a garden. He created a situation where everything was in harmony and God met their needs. They were in a right relationship with him and with one another. And God had established his rule in that place. And then along came Satan in the form of a serpent who challenged and violated God's law. He told the woman she would not die. In fact, she would be like God. She would be God-like. He contradicted the sanctions that God had put in place. And he contradicted God's interpretation 
of the future. God has said quite clearly, if you eat of the fruit, you will die. And yet that wasn't what Satan chose to tell the woman. Man was created in God's image, but Satan had said, you will actually be God-like if you eat of this fruit. Eve had been deceived first and had stumbled. The complete fall of man was to involve not just the deception of Eve, but the transgression of man. And sin entered the world. And death passed to all men. Everything changed. A different picture from the cartoon on the slide behind me. Adam and Eve were no longer holy. We're told they were ashamed of their nakedness. But I believe it was more than that. That there was an inner shame that caused them to hide from God. An inner nakedness. Their disobedience hadn't just stripped them of clothes, but had stripped them of the glory of holiness in their soul. When I was reading um, a book linked to this passage, this really struck me um, very powerfully that it wasn't just about a physical nakedness, but something within their soul had been taken away. They had lost their holiness. Their relationship with God and with one another changed. The fellowship they had with God was replaced with fracture. They hid from God's presence. They became afraid of God and fear entered their experience. And we're told as we read on in that passage that sin came into the world, shame, fear, suffering and death. And Adam and Eve were driven out of the garden and the way back to the garden was guarded. Yet God in his mercy did provide a way back through faith and we see in the Old Testament many examples of people of faith. Yet it wasn't until God sent Jesus to die for our sin that God dealt with sin once and for all. And you might want to, uh, when you leave here today, look up Romans chapter 12 and verse 19, which tells us, for just as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, that one man being Christ, many will be made righteous. And that very famous verse that uh, we'll be familiar with in John 3.16 reminds us that God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but may have eternal life. As Christians today, you and I are called to be holy, to be set aside for God. 
we are called to resist temptation. We've seen uh, clearly from the passage today how Eve was deceived and how both Adam and Eve were tempted. I wonder how Satan deceives us today. I wonder what form that temptation takes. It's unlikely to be with a piece of fruit. We need to be able to recognize deceit and we need to be able to resist temptation. And God has given us the tools to do that. We um, often sing a a song with the children about the uh, putting on the whole armor of God. And you'll find reference to that in uh, Ephesians 6, verse 11 following, where we're told as Christians that we should put on the whole armor of God so that we can stand against the wiles of the devil. And just to remind you, it's the, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, shoes to proclaim the gospel of peace, the shield of faith to quench the flaming arrows of the evil one, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So like Adam and Eve, we're called to be holy. We need to learn from them. We need to be aware of deceit and temptation in our lives and in the fellowship here at Christ the Lord. And it's really on our fellowship that I wanted to focus on uh, this morning. As a church over the last six, seven years, it's been really exciting to see how we've grown in number, how we've grown in faith, how we've become stronger as a fellowship. And if you like, the, um, the tower, which I'm amazed to survive, despite the little ones this morning, and that was a temptation for them, wasn't it? Um, represents, if you like, us at Christ the Lord, a strong tower, a fellowship, um, a people wanting and desiring to be holy, to be in a right relationship with God and with one another. And I want you to imagine that actually when you look at that tower behind me, each one of us represents a brick in that tower, which is why you have your brick, and I'll come back to that later. There's also bricks on the uh, table at the front, and if you have children, or there's anyone that you know isn't here today, you may well want to take a brick for them at the end. But the reason why I want to focus on uh, Christ the Lord at the moment is we are, as you know, we've come through and are still in a period of interregnum where we've had no vicar. And, you know, I'm sure it's been said already, you know, vicars are a bit like a bus. You wait for ages and two come along at once. Um, and we, we do now have, have Norman, who is the new curate, and we're waiting for Howard, our new vicar, to, to come. And the interregnum this last year has very much been a a time of consolidation for the church. 
And now we're moving into a different period of transition as we prepare for Howard uh, and his family to join us. And it's, it is, I believe, in this time of transition that as a church, we will be most vulnerable. And what I want to do this morning is encourage us to, to reflect on this, that often in times of transition, we can be vulnerable, we can be deceived, we can be tempted. We want Christ the Lord to be like this strong tower behind me that will get stronger and get taller as we move forward. As we move forward under Howard's leadership and direction under God, it's important that we don't allow in this time of transition for us to become fractured in any way or weakened in any way or damaged in any way. And I'd just like to try and uh, identify perhaps some of the deceits that may deceive us if we don't recognize them or if we allow them to. It might go something along these lines and I do need to say that the words I'm saying now apply just as much to me standing at the front as they perhaps do for everyone else at sitting down. It might go along the lines of, Simon didn't do it that way. The leadership team didn't do it that way. but the tower falls very quickly. Comments like that weaken us as a church. The mistaken idea that somehow the church revolves around me or revolves around you and that what I want to do or what you want to do is all important or there's only one way to do things and that's my way, or I know best. Falling for that kind of deceit will weaken us as a fellowship. No doubt over the next few weeks, we may well see Howard and his family moving in to the parish. And it'd be all too easy, wouldn't it, as we introduce ourselves, to be promoting ourselves and what we do to him. That also, I would suggest, would weaken us as a fellowship. Those of us that may have been here for some time may be thinking, well, I've always done this in the church. 
I've been doing it this way for however many years. be that sometimes harsh words are said amongst us in the, the fellowship that can be hurtful, that can be damaging. And it might be that some of us are beginning to feel a little fearful or maybe feeling anxious in a way that Adam and Eve became anxious and fearful about what would happen next. when the tower falls because we become so weakened I do quite a lot in my job uh, involves uh, management of change and it's quite a difficult thing to, to manage uh, for me I work in school and I get around it by keeping the focus on everything that happens on the children and I think for us at Christ the Lord, we need in this period of transition to keep our focus on God. He's brought us this far on this journey in this church. And we need to be open to the way forward and the blessings that he has in store for us as he leads us on. We are called to be holy, to resist deceit and temptation, to walk in faith, in fellowship with one another, in fellowship with God. What will Howard find at Christ the Lord? You each have a, a brick given you this morning, and if you don't, uh, please take one. And I would encourage you, perhaps just to write your name on it, write Christ the Lord on it, and perhaps even date it, and keep it, and keep it as a symbol. Because what I'm hoping for is that this brick will represent for you that you have a desire to be God-focused. You have a desire to be praying for this church. You have a desire to be giving thanks to God for his provision. That you have a desire to be open and flexible as we move forward. 
that you have a desire to be humble. That you have a desire to know God's peace in your heart. That you have the desire to trust God for the way forward. That you have the desire to be prepared to help as we move forward. Whatever that help may look like, and Norman will talk a little bit more about that before the end of the service. So let's just think for a moment. We've come on a really exciting journey at Christ the Lord so far, and God has greatly blessed us. We're about to embark on the next stage of the journey. Are you going to keep your brick in the tower? Or are you going to give in to temptation and take it out? I would hope that you would want to keep your brick in the tower. And then when Howard comes, he will see a strong church ready to move forward under God. Let's just uh, stop for prayer and reflection. And as you reflect on the passage we've had read to us, and perhaps the image of the tower, and the image of each one of us being like a brick within that, and as we think and pray about the future, we are called, each one of us, to be holy. Mm-hmm.